Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is our 91st videocast and 81st podcast for the week ending July 16th, 2021. Happy Friday. Wishing everyone a great weekend, but uh, let's get down to business here. We're going to start with the media. It was a very busy week on Friday. We did the podcast Thursday last week, so on Friday, I was on the Clayman Countdown with Liz Clayman. I want to thank... Uh, Jacqueline, Jackie D'Ambrosi Scales and Liz for having me on Friday. Ellie was uh, out in uh, Sun City for the uh, Allen & Company conference, so she normally invites me on, uh, but invited me on on Monday. We'll talk about that. But this was uh, the Biden administration released about 72 actions, a bunch of executive orders, on, dumped them on Friday, and most of them don't have uh, real forward momentum to get done. The ones that can do meaningful things have to get through uh, Congress. But the theme, I think, is worth looking at. Um, first off, the, the, it was predicated on the fact that uh, they said that over 75% of U.S. industries, a smaller number of large companies now control more of the business than they did 20 years ago. And on that basis, uh, it was kind of interesting because if they are going to go after bigger players across industries, the sector that which would benefit the most would be small caps, which we're going to talk a little bit about in our article of the week, that they've been kind of doing nothing for the last, since February, they've effectively been flat. So that could be the next catalyst in those groups. But as we drill down into the specific areas of executive orders, healthcare wants to lower drug costs by importing drugs from Canada. Uh, the Canadians don't want it and the drug companies don't want it. So that's going to be a non-starter. But if the theme uh, or, or done in such a small amount that it won't make a difference. The theme, though, is that they want lower drug prices, obviously greater demand for the boomers, etc., and costs to Medicare. So um, one of the groups that's been left for dead are the generic drug manufacturers. We talked about Teva, Viatris, and, and these are longer-term plays. You really have to look out three years uh, to get any color on... on um, you know, to, to get any big multiple returns. But both of them, Viatris and Teva, and also Perigo's in that group if you wanted a basket, um, they're trading at less than four times forward earnings. And they're doing that because in the case of Teva, they have litigation risk. As a matter of fact, one of our Ask Me Anything questions this week is about that. Um, Let's see. Uh, Water Traveler on YouTube said, been watching Teva for a while and agree with your call. However, big lawsuits can sometimes act as an ankle weight holding price down. Maybe in the future podcast, you could add some color to their ever go, uh, ever ongoing lawsuit. Thanks for what you do and congrats on some prior calls like Wells Fargo, Pfizer, etc. cetera. Uh, so, you know, Teva is down you know, some 90% from his high. And the reason you buy stocks like this in a basket is because there's no way of predicting how the lawsuit turns out on the one hand. But on the other hand, um, a lot of the risk is priced in it. And when it overshoots to the downside, so the peak for this stock was $68. It's now trading at nine, eight, eight and a half dollars. Uh, and they have some specialized drugs in addition to the generics. They have a migraine drug, uh, etc. So 
this is just one of those risk rewards that you manage your risk by sizing. You, you diversify your risk by a basket. But I, but I like the theme of the Perigos. The Takedas started to move this week. The uh, Viatris, which is the old Mylan, if you recall, they got in trouble for overpricing the EpiPins. Uh, so they're, they're working through these legacy issues. But these are huge companies. Teva's been in business over 100 years. Uh, they'll work through, they'll pay their fines, they'll pay their penance. We just don't know. It's not a question of how it will get resolved because it'll be a big one-time event and then the market will look through at the forward earnings power. Um, we just can't time it. And that, that's, that's the key factor. But, but this is certainly priced in a lot. This has been going on since 2016, basically. The stock's been rolling over, building a long-term base. Uh, but, but I think that's interesting because I think they're going to really pound the drum on this theme. And as, as uh, market participants start to look through, uh, these left for dead forgotten men, so, men and women, so to speak, are, are going to start to become in, more in demand. Um, as far as transportation, he's saying that uh, there's in, inadequate competition among the airlines. Uh, if there's going to be incentives for new carriers... That, which, by the way, seems crazy to do so quickly coming out of uh, the pandemic. But let's just say that that's in, in the cards. The big beneficiaries will be Boeing and will be uh, General Electric, the two undervalued industrial companies we like long term. And then uh, finally was big tech. What would happen? So they, they want to uh, scrutinize future and past um, acquisitions, what they call killer acquisitions like uh Facebook buying Instagram uh, to curb the competition and uh, also WhatsApp. And then uh, if these companies were required to break up, which again is very low probability, but if you've got Google spinning out YouTube and Waymo, if you have Amazon spinning out WP, uh, AWS, and if you have Facebook spinning out Instagram and WhatsApp, the unintended consequences is basically that shareholders are just going to make a lot more money because the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. So that was the basis of that short segment. And then, um, so thanks again to Jackie and Liz. Uh, then uh, later that day, I was on uh, TD Ameritrade Network with Nicole Petalides. Thanks to Declan Murphy for having me on. And this segment was about dividends. And this has become more and more po uh, popular and uh, in focus with the 10-year yield well below 150 basis points, kind of in this 125 to 150 range, down from a 150 to 175 range earlier in the year. I think we're at 130 basis points today. And um, what I focused on for this segment was the dividend aristocrats. There are 65 countries in the S&P 500, which have increased their dividends for the last 20 five years consecutively. So not just paying a dividend every year, but increasing every year. And the example I laid out, which I think illustrates the story better than any other, was that Warren Buffett bought about 400 million shares of Coca-Cola from 1988 to 19, 1988 to 1994. And no, it's not like it's not like he bought it in 1908 or 1918 when the company started. Number one, he wasn't alive, but number two, People will say, well, I missed it. And the answer is, no, you didn't miss it. The company was 80 years old plus when he started buying these company, uh, buying these shares. And split adjusted, his basis was 325 a share. Uh, I don't know what he paid for. You know, it, it could have well been 30 or $40. I, I haven't counted up all the splits. But split adjusted is 325 a share. 
and um, his dividend yield when he purchased the stock, I'm sure, was in the low to mid single digits, probably three, four percent because rates were a little higher. Right now, the dividend yield is three point one percent. However, what happens and why these dividend aristocrats are so important, it's not just the dividend you get today, it's the dividend that you're going to have down the road as they increase, and that compounds just like the stock compounds. So his yield on cost today uh, is 51.6% on his basis uh, from 1988 to 1994. So every year he gets a 51.6% dividend yield, and that grows every year, by the way. In another handful of years uh, or more, it'll be potentially as high as 100% dividend yield. Um, and, and that's important to keep in mind. So Warren Buffett's received $21.45 of dividends on that 325 basis, uh, or 6.6 times what he paid just in dividends, plus the stock was, uh, at the time of this uh, segment, was trading at $54. It's moved up a little since, uh, or 16.61 times his basis. So if you add the dividends and the capital appreciation, it's 23.2 times uh, over 27 years. Uh, so 23x over 27 years. And this is a slow, steady consumer goods product, effectively. Now, granted, they had some international expansion in the 90s, etc. But um, there are plenty of interesting opportunities out there. And particularly what we had been pounding the table on was first off in February and the first week of March, you can refer back to our notes when we were pounding the table on utilities, staples, and big pharma. And then lately in the last three weeks, because they took that initial move up and then they were resting for the la for six weeks and now they've actually started to move up again. So there was a second bite at the apple to get involved. Um, and I, I, I went through that group and I said, you know, basically that's what Warren Buffett did, but there's a lot of opportunities here with low yields. The demand for those dividend yields is gonna go up in the short term and Seasonally, this period of the year that tends to be volatile for the general indices in you know summer into early fall is when defensives, utilities, staples, and big pharma outperform. Um, uh, and that's over 20 plus years of data and it probably goes back further than that. So we went through a whole table which we'll cover in the article of the week. But the most important thing that you wanna understand is it's not just the dividend that you're getting today it's over time and uh, and there is an opportunity because uh, these things had taken a, a break in the last handful of weeks and for those of you who've been following us know that uh, you you would have been right on top of that so uh, thanks to Declan and to Nicole on Monday morning I was on cheddar with Brad Smith thanks to Ali Thompson for having me on and we covered the executive orders as it relates to tech uh, he also wanted to go into a little bit about uh, earnings outlook. And the, the key point that I made is, you know, 2022 earnings, uh, well, first off, earnings were expected to beat by 63% uh, year on year. And I said, that's the good news. And, and the better news, it'll probably beat by 70%, which, you know, I think a lot of people were skeptical about, but we're going to see later in the call that that's uh, already proving to be very close to accurate. Um, so while we're not going to grow 70% because we were shut down this time last year, the comps are easy, we will continue to grow well above trend. So when you hear this noise about peak growth, peak growth, peak growth, 
you had the same noise in, right in 2009 after the great financial crisis, and you had the same noise in 2003. And we'll get into that in the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey. Uh, those are the beginning of business cycle. Remember, we're just over a year into the new business cycle. So if you look back, certainly 2010, we had 10 and 15% pullback. Same thing in 2011 to, to scare everyone out. But, um, you know, we had the yield curve inversion. We had the recession, two quarters of negative GDP growth. We had the steepening of the yield curve. Uh, this is a new business cycle. And um, uh, while we're in the period where there's a digestion of a lot of gains and stimulus, uh, and you have to be more astute in finding the sectoral rallies under the surface, which we've been trying to help you along with uh, over the last, you know, uh, gosh, how long have we been doing this now? Two years. Um, that that that's really where the, where the opportunity is going to, going to be, and the other thing we talked about is um, you know with the market up ninety five percent off the pandemic lows or whatever it is, it is harder and harder to buy, find value. We covered a bit on the mortgage originators, and you know this is an interesting basket because the. The reason that they're down, and the basket we're looking at is uh, United Wholesale Mortgage Corp, which is trading at 9.3 times next year. Uh, Loan Depot's trading at 4.8 times, and Rocket's trading at 11.8 times. And the reason they're so beaten down is because the comps, the 2020 uh, refinancings were record highs, originations were record highs. And if you look at the Freddie, data, Freddie and Fannie data projections, uh, they basically have refinancings going to zero because they think rates are going to go straight up and they have originations cooling a bit. Uh, I think both are going to prove to be too pessimistic. Uh, I think that, and we covered that last week with the biggest part of the demographic uh, in the United States, 72 million millennials being average 30 years old and supply coming on with lumber crashing last month. Uh, enabling builders to ramp up their plans and I think start to build the smaller starter type homes to make it more affordable. I'm sure the administration will be pushing that as well as lowering lending standards uh, in order to make them more widely available with lower costs. These originators specialize in qualified mortgages that they sell to the GSEs, Fannie, uh, government-sponsored entities, Fannie and Freddie. And I think that uh, we saw this week, as a matter of fact, I'm going to uh, bring up an article. Maybe I can bring it up right now. Um, well, basically, refinancing spiked this week because rates were down, and, and that's the name of the game. And I, I think that rates are certainly going to go up um, steadily over time, but it's going to be less quickly than most people think. And um, the other thing is that many people were unemployed last year. So it's, it's, it's very difficult to refinance when you're unemployed. So I think that uh, you're going to see refinancings much better than anticipating. Rates uh, not go up as abruptly as the modeling shows. And originations in particular are vastly underestimated. I, I think they're going to continue as supply comes on and maybe supply at smaller square footage, which is the name of the game. We talked last week about the uh, amount of homes around 1,500 square feet or less. It just collapsed since the 70s, and they were accelerating like crazy when the boomers needed them. So they were huge. Think the Levittowns of the world in the 50s, 
at boom and then uh, for their children, the greatest generation, and then for their children, the boomers in the early 80s. And in both cases, the 1948 to 1966 was a huge economic boom driven by housing demand, housing formation, demography, uh, et cetera. Same thing with 1982 to 2000 uh, with their kids. And we just need to get that supply of starter homes. It's not necessarily the affordability. Uh, you know, it's just that a person buying a starter home doesn't need 9,000 square feet with a tennis court, uh, you know, uh, or 4,000 square feet for that matter, or maybe not even 2,500 square feet. So, so many can, can start with those smaller, smaller homes and then build equity and, and move up from there like previous generations have done. And that's gonna, what's going to make it affordable, not trying to affect government policy to make a 2,500 square foot house cost what a 1,500 square foot house should. Uh, I think I think this the supply just needs to change and 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 the market will will do that for us. Um, okay, and then um, and and that was basically the name of the game with Brad. Uh, also covering some uh, expectations on bank earnings, which we'll go into uh, later that day. I was on the claiming countdown with uh, Lauren Lauren Simonetti. Thanks to Ellie Terrett. Uh, was back from the Allen and Co conference uh, for having me on, and in this one we talked about uh, bank earnings and what you know how to look moving forward. And I and I think as far as general S and P earnings and general outlook uh, at two hundred thirteen dollars for twenty twenty two, I think what we're going to find in the next couple of weeks, and we're starting to see it already in this first week of earnings is that that number is still too low, despite the fact that it's gone up every week, uh, you know, basically since the beginning of the year, more or less. Uh, I think we're going to find that guidance is going to take that up closer, call it 225, 230, and then the market looks a little more reasonably valued. But, but there's a digestion period that comes. Uh, earnings have been good. The market's been a little bit uh, sideways, this, this, and particularly under the surface, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, a lot of the good news is baked in. The key is guidance moving forward. Uh, but but watch those estimate numbers. They they ticked up a little bit this week. We'll talk about that at the end of the call. And then we just talked about uh, what to expect with the big banks. The, you know, trading revenue was going to be down. The loan growth uh, that's 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 going to come back the second half. Um, you know, you you've had a tremendous amount of stimulus. As that gets used up, uh, people will start borrowing more. And banks will start to see more income on that front. Same with commercial loans as people come back to work and they go into expansion. Uh, so that's kind of a second half story. The reserve releases worked out as expected, maybe even a little better than we expected. And then uh, we talked about Citibank as being the trade. Uh, KBW Bank Index was down about 8% into earnings. Citi was down you know, south of uh, 13% trading at 0.9 times tangible book value with a 3% dividend yield, 8.6 times next year's earning, and a huge turnaround story with Jane Frazier. She's streamlined, uh, streamlined operations, and her efficiency rate's gone down by 10%, which is really good. She's taking a lot of costs out of the business. Also, their deposit growth has been phenomenal. Uh, so, um, so what we had anticipated with Citi has come to pass. Uh, you know, whether it's time to load the boat here. I mean, if I had no bank exposure, would I start to nibble at City at, at this level? Yeah, I'd probably put on a third of the position so I could hopefully buy a little bit lower. Um, you know, and, and if, it, if it got away from me, maybe add another third and just let it run. 
Um, so, you know, but, but we have enough bank exposure, so we're, we're happy with that. Again, thanks to Ellie and Lauren. And then uh, Wednesday, I think I was on CGTN talking about the global chip shortage, you know, and the basic takeaway with that is that it's kind of at its acute phase. It was a combination of you know, work from home, school from home, people switched to cars from mass transit to social distance, construction boom, deer and caterpillar needed it for their equipment. 5G rollout and a crypto mining craze all at the same time. <laughs> so cars are, are less than 9% of the semiconductor uh, industry. And my basis was that, you know, all these governments are investing, but most importantly, the companies are investing. And uh, while there's kind of a consensus that it'll take 18 to 24 months, uh, we, you know, the actions that are be taken now are setting, setting things up a couple years, two, three years down the road the shortage of today becomes the glut of tomorrow. And we're certainly gonna see that with all the uh, plants coming on. There's uh, 10 fobs coming on uh, for 300 millimeter chips 14 in 2021, 14 in 2022. A lot of investment from the government. You know, uh, Intel's doing a $20 billion factory in Arizona. Taiwan Semi's doing a 10 billion in Arizona. Uh, so so that's, that's not gonna be a factor. Um, and we are seeing prices now stabilize off of extreme levels. We're just not, not yet seeing the stocks go up, but Taiwan Semiconductor came out after this uh, segment and said that uh, expects the auto chip shortage to abate this quarter, which no one was looking for. So that, that's positive news to see. So again, thank you to Camellia Kilowan and Roe Ruttenberg for having me on uh, CGTN America. And then finally, I uh, want to thank Devik Jane. I'm sorry, let's see. Devik Jane and Sriyashi Sinyal. Uh, they had me on their, in their article on Monday. And what I was saying is great earnings results are already baked into the market. The name of the game is guidance. We need to see what managements have to say about their outlook to support current valuations and, and beyond, which is another way of saying, yeah, we're a little bit fully valued here. We need to see estimates go up to start to support a leg higher. Otherwise, we're playing playing the, the sectoral rotations under the surface, which has kind of been our base case uh, after we got the mid-teens game we were looking for for the year, uh, you know, within the first five months. So there may be a few more percent, but I think it's going to be kind of a sideways grind and the opportunity is going to be under the surface. And then yesterday, Herb Lash and Mark Jones over at Reuters, thanks for having me on. Um, Okay, so what I said was staples have pricing power that could help Procter Gamble, Coca-Cola, and others rise once it's clear their margins remain intact, said Tom Hayes. Guidance is the name of the game. A lot of good news baked in with strong guidance. Uh, and even with strong guidance, we may get a breather here. So um, if you remember, input costs went up uh, aggressively last quarter for all of the consumer products companies. And I said, okay, yeah, but they're not going to give up their margins. They have pricing power and brand modes. You're going to see that next quarters uh, prices go up and they'll retain their margins and these stocks will be back up. And we're going to see those earnings in, in coming weeks. But, but that's really the name of the game. But the groups are starting to anticipate that. So we're going to look at a number of uh, uh, charts here. This was just the... Um, uh, the Citigroup profit soars as consumers re rebound. Um, they beat analyst expectations. Their uh, checking account deposits are picking up very rapidly, which is good to see. And then Wells Fargo was the only one among the four largest to post an increase in revenue last quarter. So 
The market seemed to treat Wells better than the other big banks like JPM and uh, Bank of America. They were a little disappointed in Bank of America. So that's good to see. Uh, the CFO was on uh, with Wilfred Frost saying that, uh, kind of alluding to the fact that the asset cap removal is going to be a longer process. So again, I'm not doing cartwheels to add to banks here. You know, we pounded the table for the last six some odd weeks that uh, cyclicals were going to take a rest. Uh, tech would boom. That's happened. Now tech is, has moved a lot. Does cyclicals get, do cyclicals get bid right away? Um, you know, very, very selectively, like we started to talk about how we would think about city. I think defensives are going to have their day in the sun for the next few months before the cyclical trade comes back in earnest uh, for, the, for the end of the year. So that's been our base case. That seems to be playing out. Uh, let's take a look at some of these um, Ask Me Anything questions because those have actually been the source of some of the best content in recent calls. Uh, ben, first name only. Tom, I know you think the markets will hold up until Jay Powell is reappointed in February 2022, but how can we rule out the market makers pulling their bids much sooner? Okay. And what's your latest thoughts on if the bank's correction is over or not and your thoughts on XLE, XOP, which, is, which are the energy ETFs? So... Uh, you know, will institutions raise cash in this environment? We'll see. Um, the, the most important thing here is liquidity. So here's what you need to know about the market, okay? This thing, the Federal Reserve balance sheet continues to make new highs basically every single week. And, and until this liquidity even if they announce tapering next week, this is still going to continue to go up in the short term due to the reinvestment process. Uh, so it's very tough to fight the Fed here. And that's not to say you can't get your 3 or 5% pullbacks. We've had uh, three of them that we, we were anticipating a handful this year. Uh, and I think that's, that's how this market wants to behave. Now, could anything happen? Yeah. I mean, you know, Herb Lash, when he called me from Reuters, we were talking about the 10-year yield, like how abruptly went down so far. And I talked about, well, number one, tax, tax uh, returns were filed later this year, so they received a lot of cash. There's less supply because they've had to do less issuance. The Japanese have been net buyers in the last few months. That's new. Uh, um, and then, like, what, what could, you know, when you see yields compress that quickly, sometimes it presages, like, a you know, a really bad event. The last time we saw that was before the pandemic. Does it always? Absolutely not. The other thing that you need to keep in mind is seasonally over the last 20 years, yields do compress over the summer. Uh, it happens basically every single year. So this is, this is in line with normalcy. But like, if it was presaging an outlier event, what would that be? You know, and the only thing I could think about, because everyone's looking at, obviously, you know, the first thing out of everyone's mouth is the Delta variant, which we'll discuss. Uh, I don't think that's it because everyone's focused on it. I, you know, I think if there were going to be a crazy type of event, either it would be the Iran deal because uh, people aren't really paying attention to it right now. But more than that, um, the big one would be China doing something aggressively with Taiwan where we would have to step in and that, you know, that, that would be a really bad thing. But I, I think if there was... If there was knowledge of that, you'd see the 10-year at 1% right now, not 130 basis points. So I'm not really worried about that. I'm willing to accept that it's more of a cyclical thing. But, you know, could any of those black swan happen? Yes. If you, if you invest on the basis of guesses about that kind of stuff, 
it's just a matter of time until you're you're out of the business. I mean that you can't play that game because even if you think about Brexit, it's a short-term event. It's you get the news, people are shocked, they puke, uh, people on margin get called, and then people say, okay, so this this is happening now. Uh, how many cans of Pepsi is gonna? How many cans of pe- uh, of soda is Pepsi gonna sell next year? You know how many tubes of toothpaste is Colgate Palmolive going to sell next year? And it really has nothing to do with whether China's in Taiwan or or not. And I think that's like lower than a 5% probability. But if you had to, you know, look at the abrupt move compression of yields, you know, those are some outlier uh, events. Our base case is that we we grind sideways uh, to slightly higher into end of the year with a few minor pullbacks to scare people. Certainly some big sector corrections under the surface, uh, like we've been seeing these rotating things. As far as energy, um, you know, that's a good question. It's coming a lot in anticipation with, again, if you go back the last four to six weeks, what do we say? Banks and energy would take a breather here to, to punish the late money, and they're scaring the hell out of the late money, and they all panicked in, and they're all panicking out. Uh, I don't know if enough pain has been done yet. I mean, let's take a look at some of these big uh, energy, large cap energy companies um, you know, I, I guess some of them start to get interesting, but you know, these are, you know, this is what, this is a weekly view. So if you look on the daily, it's like, oh, they're all crashing. Oh, it's, it's out of control. But if you step back a little bit, um, would I be starting to add, you know, if I had zero exposure, um, you know, I, I'd have to be very selective, very high quality. I, I would want to see a little more pain. I'd really be waiting for an Iran deal and get a dump and then, you know, load the boat and, and wait for that. You may not get the abrupt thing that I'm expecting. Um, so we're kind of we're kind of neutral. I, I, I don't think it's I think you, to make it work, to cause the most pain to the most people, since everyone joined and got excited up at these levels up here, everyone was getting euphoric, all the people that hated them. Last year in October, loved him up here in the first quarter. Hated him here, loved him here. Hated, loved. I think you gotta. I think you gotta cause a little more pain to them. I think you gotta get them to puke like below these levels, take out some of their quote technical trend lines, and, and just knock it below that, and then uh, take off without them. That's usually what happens. So I'm. I, I wouldn't. I. You know, if you own it from down here when we were pounding the table before the election. I, I don't, you know, there's no real reason to sell. If you were going to lighten up, you should have done so four or six weeks ago when we were talking about take off 20, 30% of your position. But over the next three to five years, you know, the, these things are going to work. So, um, so, so the answer to your question, Ben, is, is neutral. The answer to the market, it, the answer to both of your questions, nothing has changed. I don't change based on how the market moves for a few days. So um, um, the answer for energy and um has been it was going to be soft over the summer and then the cyclical trade would re re-emerge towards year end and make new highs no change there uh markets will hold up till the end of the year yeah but again you could get these black swan events and and you know but they're limited in time you just have to acknowledge there's huge liquidity in the system we're only one year into a new business cycle we got 15 percent corrections in 2010 and 2011 it was still the beginning. If you sold towards then, at those points, you lost tens of million. You lost a lot of money. So, um, so yeah, no change. Mikel, uh, 
Okay, Mikhail Bobkov. Hi, Tom. Enjoyed hearing your take last week on Alibaba and the Chinese situation. Great. We're going to cover more on that. This month's inflation data spooked many investors and made many headlines. However, the data shows that the increased inflation comes primarily from a few categories, which represent only around 12% of the index. Energy used in uh, used cars and trucks, by the way, that's 60% of the, the print was the used cars and trucks, which is partially attributable to the semiconductor shortage, which Taiwan Semi just told you is going to get solved this quarter. So, um, okay, so and airline fares have increased 25, 45 year on year, respectively, while remaining categories have only increased modestly about 2.5%, such as food and shelter, which make up around 50% of the index. My question is looking at the data. Is overall inflation less worrisome than is portrayed in the news, uh, which in effect gives Powell enough room to let the economy run hot and delay tapering until 2022? Great question. And yes, that's what we've covered. Um, I do think inflation will run above trend, but that's the goal. So long-term trend is two. Could it run at three for the next couple of years? Sure, it could run at three or close to three. Uh, But he told you what he's going to do this week. Uh, Feds, here we go. Uh, Powell, progress toward full employment, 2% inflation is still a ways off, hinting Fed may not be on the verge of cutting bond buying stimulus. Uh, You know, he acknowledged that inflation in the short term ran hotter. So did um, Treasury Secretary Yellen. But they're they're still holding to the um, to the transitory story. And the reason they're doing that is because you got 9.3 million people still not working compared to 5.7 before the pandemic. So Employment is his number one thing. And again, nothing changed week to week. I've been saying the same, same thing. Um, but Mikel did a great job of breaking that down. And the big, big fat number is the used cars. That's semis. And, and Taiwan semis said that's going to be done. We covered the Teva thing. That's just, you got to just have a long view. Uh, and you got to have a basket. I, I like the generic theme. They're left for dead. So I would have Teva. I'd have Viatris. I would have... Um, you know, Perigo and Takeda, maybe four. And, you know, you look out, one's not going to work. Uh, and, um, you know, but the basket's going to be up three and a half, maybe four X, uh, you know, out three years. So, so we kind of like those. Uh, okay. Uh, from Shannon, Magic Mountain doesn't have rides that are this fun. One thing I appreciate about the tools you use to produce your podcast is that they're largely accessible and or free to us little guys. I tried to do that, and uh, one thing I'm having trouble with, however, is finding a place to access various, various data, at least in an easily digestible format that doesn't require me to imply a research team or write a variety of Python scripts. Specifically, we continue to hear about Archegos-type blowups and unwinding of short treasury bets, etc. Curious if there exists a way to measure or estimate the cumulative level of margin in the market, the percent of shares instruments controlled by notionally by derivatives, the market share of ownership over time, the change in percent of shares owned by institutional versus retail over time. Uh, even if these specific examples don't exist, wondering if you could share some of the less known sources of interesting data. As always, thanks for uh, the sage advice. So this is a great question, Shannon, because I think, you know, and I went down this rabbit hole when I was new. Everyone thinks there's some special edge and, and the special edge is hard work. Uh, the special edge is experience. And, and there was a quote we put out by... Um, Jesse Livermore this week on the on Twitter that said only the game can teach you the game and there's nothing more important than that uh, you know 90% of the things you just asked you can probably get through Google obviously if you have a Bloomberg terminal which I've had um, you can get more of this stuff but all these what what does that have to do with 
um, you know, how many Band-Aids Johnson & Johnson is going to sell over the next 36 months? Or how many diapers Kimberly Clark is going to sell? Or uh, all of these factors. And what happens is, you know, there, there's an old quote, focus on the few things that make 80% of the difference. And what makes a difference is we look for things that are cheap. We try to understand why they're cheap. So what's the bearish thesis? Why are people so pessimistic on this? And then is there an inflection that we can, uh, a plausible thesis that we can create with a large enough margin of safety uh, that the thing could inflect over one to three years and, and be a multi-bagger? And, and if all of those factors are in place and we've uh, accepted a worst case downs downside scenario, and we usually manage that by doing a basket of the theme, then we put capital to work and and that's it there's no secret fix there's no technical indicator there's no uh you know if institutionals or retail you know the people that are most interested to see if retail people are in trades are retail people because they think everyone else is dumber than them but they're they're also retail so you know i think the key is time humility and by the way you're listening to this so you're obviously uh, and, and now I'm not speaking to, to Shannon, I'm speaking largely. Uh, if you're listening to this, you are taking those efforts to learn the game and you're maybe speeding it up a lot because you're getting you know, uh, quite a long, long track record of experience uh, to shorten your learning curve, which, which is helpful. But you know, with all this, you can Google it or you can pay for it. That's really what it comes out to. But I wouldn't focus on this. I, I think one of your most valuable resources is go to your public library and get value line and start to read about read five companies a day for the next you know year and you'll know 1500 companies a bit uh read them read them every single day and then at the end of two years you'll have read them twice they cover about 2000 larger companies and you know that these are the things that warren buffett and um you know charlie munger did and started their career and they still do to, to today you see pictures of buffett with the value line binder behind him in his office. So, uh, you know, you don't get paid for complexity. You get paid for, you know, I, I mean, if you had to put it simply, buying quality when it's on sale, not just buying because it's cheap, because that's the misnomer of value investing is you just buy anything that's cheap and, you know, liquidation value and all that. No, it's cheap relative. All Every sector has different metrics that make make them cheap so you could you know you could buy a company at 40 times forward earnings that's cheap that's a value stock because it's you know uh, last five-year range is you know uh 35 times to 100 times and growth has actually accelerated so it's trading at the bottom of its multiple range growth is accelerating so so that multiple should actually go up and rates are low. So, so you have to think about it uh, in terms of context and then you have to do the work. And, and the other thing that Buffett does, which again is the hard work, when we find a cheap company, we, we try to figure out what is the bare thesis? Why is this so low? And then you start with the basics. You read the, the earnings call transcripts or listen to the earnings call transcripts in the background. You read the annual re report. And then over time, you start to understand the cycles, how these things cycle through, and what it looks and feels like when you're at that acute phase of pessimism, uh, when like there's just no more sellers left, is fundamentally what it comes down to. And then on the upside, when there's literally no more buyers left, it's you know, and you saw a little 
feel for that in like the AMCs of the world this week. So, um, so, so that's my best advice is do, is do the work, focus on the simple things, the few things that make 80% of the difference. And what are those few things? Finding quality businesses, quality businesses that are on sale, uh, that have some plausible thesis for an imminent inflection and do the work and, and, uh, and you'll do far better than people saying, well, there's so many derivatives in the system. We're all going to blow up. Let me get my canned food. I mean, you know how many people lost fortunes over the last 10 years with that m- mindset? It's like you can never make that back. And, and you listen to this nonsense. Um, you know, so, so that's that. We just try to keep things rational. Yeah, is the general market potentially fully valued? Yes. Is there a lot of Bar- are there some bargains still available under the surface? You bet. And that's what we try to do each week and be helpful with. Again, click on terms at Hedge Fund Tips. This is not advice. This is just our opinion. We try to share some of the things that we're doing, and then you can consult with your advisor to see if it makes sense for you. Um, okay, so great questions on the um, on that. want to go through some of the other sectors because we've covered a lot of these over the last... Uh, weeks. Um, so yeah, I think there could be, you know, potentially some more pain and energy before like it just becomes, yeah, you should definitely start adding. The banks, on the other hand, same type of story. They've done exactly what we anticipated for the last six weeks. I mean, Wells had a green candle here this week. I mean, because it did better than the rest. Uh, have these come in? I mean, the companies like City, 0.9 times tangible, eight and a half times forward, 3% dividend yield. I mean, if you bought it here, and it went to 60. I mean, is it the end of the world? I mean, if you look three to five years out, this is probably a 90 to $110 stock in, in our view. So you're not going to get it perfect. Uh, these have had monster runs since October. So I think they've got to just digest this for a while. I, I wouldn't be in such a rush. If you missed it, you missed it. Let's, let's get on the next horse that's, that's going. And what's the next horse that we've been talking about pounding the table is... Um, utilities staples and pharma and we you know we talked about that first leg from from late february when we put out the article it rallied like crazy and then it rested for six weeks and now it's getting the second leg that we've been anticipating so here's the weekly look so remember rally sideways this and now we're getting the second leg now we're getting the second leg in all these names and this was the big week that they all started to turn and you know it like wading through this was just like Ah, watching paint dry but you know you just know it over time and your patience and and it and it does uh aep uh you can't see this darn it um let me see if i can make it bigger here we go so look at this this is this is it this is exactly this is when we put the article out rally consolidate and now we're getting that second leg and i think these things have juice so that's what i'd be focused on instead of looking at the rearview mirror if you miss banks or you missed energy what's next and and these have not recovered and they're all starting to uh starting to go but like you know you can see it clearly on the weekly on the daily it looks like you already missed it i mean look at these moves these are just phenomenal and it's just so exciting to see that the patience is rewarded because it was a long six weeks saying you know these are going to take a second leg higher and um and and we're going to see that so so that was on the utilities now let's see what else we got okay same thing on the staples look at clorox this thing's up um 16 points in the last week or so 10 percent 
Kimberly Clark. This thing was left for dead in June after they reported earnings. It's up 10 points already in the last few weeks. Uh, Colgate, how many tubes of toothpaste? I'll make this bigger so you can see it. Here, you know, rally off those February, March, huge thing, consolidate, next leg higher. So this is, this is happening and this is exciting. So this is what we, Kellogg, same exact thing. Rally, and now it's taking that leg. Um, Campbell's will eventually come around once they change their name to Campbell Snacks instead of Campbell Soups, but they'll figure that out. That's gonna be fine. Um, oh, it even got a bounce this week. Okay, so here we go. It'll fill this gap and then everyone will be all about soup again. Um, you just have to be patient with these things. And um, so, it's, so it's definitely exciting to see. I'll show you the weekly view again. These things are just getting started. Clorox, no one's gonna buy bleach again. You bet they're gonna buy bleach again. Uh, Kimberly Clark, um, even Campbell, we'll see this, this thing did a round trip on us, but this is gonna be at new highs within months in, in our view, um, or 52 week highs. Uh, Colgate Palmolive, these things are all starting to move. Um, so that, that's exciting to see. And then what was the third part? Pharma. Okay, so even Pfizer is starting to move. Uh, J&J, same type of story. Where is um, Novartis? Novartis, so it's consolidated. It's trying to get going here. They're going to they're gonna move. Uh, so th this gives you the weekly view again. Consolidate, they'll start to move. Amgen started to do it. Um, but yeah, Pfizer's building this handle out here for you cup and handle maniacs that love those cup and handles. God bless. This, I think this is going to be a cup and handle. Your textbook thing, you can use it in your next books. Um, so we love that. And, you know, this is just defensive. It's that time of the year. It's, the environment is set up. People are underexposed, and they'll chase them after, after they're up. This is the bullish percent energy uh, thing. This is just those stocks on a point and figure buy signal. I don't even use point and figure, but this is a just, you can see when things are at extremes or at the top. This is mid-level, but you know, it, it has bottomed here, but I, I think you could see a little more pain in the energy before it goes. This is, I want to cover BABA. Chinese tech stocks jump after 10 cent deal gets approval. So after all the cute noise about China, and there was more today, they rated Didi and it was down 7%. Now I think it closed down 2%. I, I, we're not even closed yet. I'm doing this in the afternoon. But um, so this was when we did the podcast on this day. And I'll show you a clip from the podcast, the video cast from this week when we, uh, Alibaba went, went below uh, 200 and we added aggressively took our basis to I think 209 and change from it was 211 so we added pretty aggressively that day the group has turned around there look it's still not without risk but here's where it was okay this is when we did the podcast and we walked through this sentiment thing okay and it was literally word for word and we said we think we're in a version here and we should get some bottoming and maybe we'll start to recover and then we'll get back up to here It'll start to consolidate at denial, which is about 260, and then hopefully new highs. Um, now, let, let me show you. Keep this mental picture in mind right here. This is where we were. This flush out, what we called sweep the leg. If you remember from our Cobra Kai article with uh, Wells Fargo last October when it was at $22, we said this is the flush, you know, all in, let's go. And, uh, and then it just doubled. So I think this was the flush. We'll see so far... 
so good. Here was the flush down to 199. Um, when we did the podcast, it got up to 216 over the last few days. And now it's back to 212. Let me see where it's closing. So it's closing at 211.80. So we're up, you know, 11 points in a week. Uh, it, look, it's moving in the right direction. Could we get another sweep to really kill people? Yeah, but, uh, you know, how, how, how much worse can the news get? I mean, it's, it's the acute phase when they raid, raid Didi. Uh, then, you know, Didi will still be doing ride hailing on Monday. Will they be doing it with new downloads? No, but they already had, I think, something ridiculous number. I think 900 million people had already downloaded. So saying, like, the last 10% of people can't get the Didi app is not huge punishment. Um, you know, and then the question of the U.S. Um, delistings that people are worried about. You know, here are the facts. The facts are there are 248 Chinese companies listed on U.S. exchanges with a combined market value of $2 trillion. So, you know, if they start delisting, BABA is going to be the last one that they delist. But why the hell would you uh, risk destroying $2 trillion of capital formation and put yourself at a global competitive disadvantage by extinguishing access to the deepest, most robust capital markets in the world in order to prove a point. Because the net effect of that is hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Chinese will be laid off. Not immediately, but six months later, nine months later, two years later. And, it, and if you got millions of people, you get another Tiananmen Square. So by all means, if you want to make stupid decisions, be our guest, but there are consequences of that, uh, and that is you will leave yourself in obscurity and you'll become the next Japan. And I don't think, I, I think there's, there's too much intelligence in, in uh, uh, Beijing uh, and certainly academics that have studied enough history to know that it would just be suicide to um, ban delistings. Now, what the languaging is, has been, which is why we've had this bounce off of that acute bottom last week, is smarter communication. Number one, the, this was the big thing that the government did was they approved a deal uh, Tencent to do with Sogu. Um, after they said they'd have to approve all deals, uh, they approved one. So first they declined one, and then they approved a different one, and that's when the whole market inflected. So they went into Didi's offices, maybe on Monday, Didi's still operating, and then it's off to the races. You know, these are the type of baby steps that you need to take, and I think they sent a crystal clear message. If you're an IPO, you got to come answer to Beijing before you even talk to the SEC in Washington. And I think, you know, if you want to retain power, that's the thing to do, and, you know, that makes perfect sense. But I don't see them saying, let's blow up $2 trillion of free money that we've gotten from the West to fuel our innovation and our growth, particularly when we want to have our own semiconductors in the next five years and we're way behind. Uh, bad idea, bad for, for their employment outlook. And, uh, and I don't think they're going in that direction. I think, the, I think the West is more scared of their next action because the DD thing seems so unpredictable. But if you look under the cover, it looked like Didi actually ignored a lot of warnings and kind of their timing wasn't brilliant. And uh, so they had to pay the piper and they're doing that in spades. But that, you know, to extrapolate that to $2 trillion of liquidity, now people say, well, institutions will then just get the Hong Kong listing. Sure, they can do that. But now we've got a warning on Hong Kong. So 
at the and and by the way, Alibaba is not going private, <laughs> so uh, it's too big too big a check for anyone. So um, I think as the the smoke is starting to clear, and you know when you you know when you get started, you have those putters and you have those step backs. But it seems like that was the acute sweep last week. Uh, we'll we'll see if that follows through. Um, this was just some upgrades on Splunk, which is still up 30 points, which is good. That's working higher. The business trip, people are saying, when is the business coming back? Las Vegas trip is back mostly, and you can see that in the TSA numbers. We had 2.1 million people last year. This year versus 700,000 last year, 2.7 the year before. So the consumer is making up a lot of the lost business. I think that business is going to come back in the fall uh, and we'll be at record numbers, which is, which is a good thing to see. And then you're saying, well, how can that be, Tom? The Delta variant, the Delta variant. I mean, boy, the, the stuff that's coming. And it's right to be scared. There was a great article in the Wall Street Journal today from Leslie Bienen and Monica Gandhi, the reassuring data on the Delta variant. And they just basically walked through how the name of the game is hospitalizations. They're collapsing, uh, whether the Delta variant as potent or not. And it's only really popping up in those areas that uh, don't have enough mRNA vaccines yet, which uh, you know they're slowly getting to aggressively. I think what you're going to see here, honestly, is I think you're going to see an approval of the vaccines from the FDA, and the last you know basically ten you know twenty percent may never get it. The last ten percent that hasn't gotten it, um, once it's approved, will get it. And uh, and then these, the Delta thing will go away. And then the mRNA for the rest of the world is the key thing. Um, they'll get it. But, but, you know, Delta was found in March. Okay, so here are the two charts. This is cases per day and deaths per day. And, you know, if I was to say this terrible variable kicked in in March, let's see what happened. Well, I would say if that's a terrible, vac- if that's a ter- terrible variable, can you please do it again? Because cases have collapsed from 56,000 a day to 22,000 a day. And uh, since the CDC announced the variable in mid-March, uh, deaths have collapsed from 1,100 a day down to 230 a day. So, you know, if that's the variable, the deadly variable, and what's happened in the five, four or five months, uh, four months since it came on our shores, Please do it again. And I'm being a little facetious here, and I'm not trying to uh, diminish you know, what could be certainly serious, but the name of the game is the mRNA vaccine seem to have it under control. And I think in that article they said it's like a 87% efficacy or somewhere in there. It's lower than for the original strain, but the, um, the effect is not, it's not like a serious illness. It can be asymptomatic. It can be very mild. So, you know, I, I think that the final hurdle for vaccinations, as much as they have focused on other things, is just the FDA approval. Once it's finally approved, I think that that marginal 10% that's going to make the difference for herd immunity will probably jump on the bandwagon. And the last 20%, you'll just never get them no matter what you do. Uh, unless you do more lotteries, maybe maybe you'll get more people to sign up. Uh, oh, this was the article, weekly mortgage finances spike 20% after interest rates dropped to February low. So again, we're, we're more bullish than estimate, but we do acknowledge that, you know, in a rising rate environment, they'll be less than last year. And that's what they're trading on is that the growth can, will not replicate last year. And I think that that's underestimated. Uh, so we've gone through that. 
this is the Fed balance sheet. That's the most important thing. Before you get bearish, you want to see this thing. Before you get aggressively bearish, you want to see this thing go down. And if you want to get bearish on a secular basis, you need to see the yield curve invert. And we're nowhere near that. We just steepened. All, you know, and now we're grinding sideways. But um, we're in the early days. So you know, hold on to your horses. If you get some bumps, add for the long term is, is our view. Uh, okay, this is very interesting. Fund managers have now unwound their post-election vaccine bets survey finds. So the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey says that, um, you know, they've gotten out of the reopening trade. They've jumped on tech. You know, we were talking about tech six, seven weeks ago. It's now run. Um, and now they're out of that, which tells me that over the next few months, once you get everyone out of it that joined late, uh, then the trade can start to work again. But I, I, I think we've got a little time to bide. And, and then that time where things are just choppy and uncertain, like people felt this week, that's when utilities are going to, when uh, defenses are going to kick in, which we've been waiting for this second leg and it's finally happening. So we're excited about that. Uh, but for all these people worried about, um, you know, the key takeaways from this global fund manager survey were uh, economic expectations have peaked, inflation expectations have peaked, and profit expectations have peaked. And people say, oh my God, that's terrible. Well, that happened in 2009 after they went straight up and 2002 after they went straight up. Same thing with all of them. And that, that was the beginning of the business cycle. So, so these are good things. The positioning, everyone j jammed into tech last month. They jammed out of emerging markets and consumer staples and energy. So particularly staples, I, I think this is where the opportunity is gonna be. So um, for, at least for the next few months, and then we'll come back to that cyclical trade once they're fully out and they've totally puked them and said, oh, it's energy again. Why did I fall for the trap? And that's the trap. And that's when we, that's when we uh, top up uh, for the long term. Um, most crowded trade now is tech. <laughs> that, that was quick. Uh, and then biggest uh, risk, tail risk is inflation. So that was the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey. This shows you the article of the week, the whole lot of nothing stock market and sentiment results. This is the small caps have ground sideways. Maybe those executive orders will make an impact. Probably not. But um, this is uh, where you want to start to pay attention. Can this thing break out uh, after consolidating? And I think in the back half of the year, we're going to find that the answer is yes. We now, you know, we know what this range is. Uh, Dow Jones has done nothing since in the last two and a half months. You can see here, it feels like a lot's happened, but not much has happened. Uh, what has happened is tech and um uh, tech's been bid up in the last six weeks, and that's why the S&P and, and NASDAQ are up. Uh, and you can see the performance since they announced the vaccine on November 6th. Um, financials and energy were the top two performers, which you can go back to our notes here on hedgefundtips.com under commentary category or sentiment, and uh, look back to our articles before the election. We're pounding the table on banks and energy. And these naturally have to take a, a break. And look what we're, what go, we're going at right now what we're exposed to is the laggards, utilities, staples, and this is healthcare. Those are where we want to do because guess what? Last year, this is what financials and energy looked like, although they were even more negative than this. So we're buying, we're, we're, we lightened up on the leaders that we bought when they were laggards, and now we're buying the laggards, and we'll lighten up when they're leaders once again. It's, it's just a, it's a game of musical chairs. That's basically it, flavor of the month. We went through all the, these. Uh, this was a table on some of the uh, dividend aristocrats. You can go through that on your own. Their yields, their multiples. 
Um, you know, you have some like Walgreens Boots Alliance still with a 3.8% yield. It's trading at just 9.3 times next year's earnings. And uh, while it's up for the year, it's, uh, it's just announced uh, same-day delivery. So it can compete with some of the threats. Uh, same-day delivery for, for uh, prescriptions. So that's a, that's a very positive thing that I, that I think can give them an advantage. It's basically like all their stores now are becoming... Uh, Amazon warehouses for prescriptions, and so they should be able to retain the moat there. And I think uh, the other thing that they need to see, believe it or not, uh, the pharma pharma companies need to see people go back to their doctors for in-person treatment and for uh, you know testing and 